Episode 34, Authentic Faith Will Swim Against the Tide. Rethinking the Bible with Jack Pelham. Welcome to Rethinking the Bible. This is an audio podcast where we apply reality-based thinking to interpreting the Bible. Reality-based thinking is my name for a philosophy that seeks to make constant use of honesty, rationality, and responsibility in seeking out the reality of things while trying to avoid common errors. And for the record, I define reality as the state of things as they actually exist, as opposed to one's perceptions, beliefs, or wishes about them. And you should know, this is a serial podcast, so it's best if you start from episode one and work your way forward from there, because we lay some foundational principles up front and you'll be lost later if you skip them now. Well, I just finished the John's Baptism episode, uh, which is uh, one of several covering the whole topic of baptism. Uh, And as I hinted, I might not do all of those episodes in a row. Today would be the exception uh, to that um, series. Uh, Today I wanted to tell some stories from my own life, and um, I wanted to talk about this topic uh, in the title, Authentic Faith Will Swim Against the Tide. Uh, Obviously, uh, and I, I hope as we go in this um, whole series, uh, in this whole, you know, podcast uh, world of mine, I hope that I'm painting the picture that God has set us in a world that is not um, very godly and that um, he wants us to be godly anyway, even though we're here. And of course, people disagree about what time it is and what all is going on with angels and demons and Satan and evil spirits and, you know, possessions or not and, and all that. And, um, you know, we keep touching on that as we go. We'll, we'll get more and more into that. However, uh, I think everybody can agree there are evils in the world. And there is also uh, just plain old negligence in the world. Uh, in fact, even in the churches and among those who claim faith in God, you'll find many are not as diligent as uh, others are. And so there's a big difference in all of that. Well, uh, I think in my title today, Authentic Faith Will Swim Against the Tide, I think there is quite a tide of um, people who are just flat out doing the wrong thing on purpose, uh, some who do the wrong thing by accident, they're ignorant, uh, they're not well educated in the Bible. Uh, and then there are, of course, people who... Um, don't know that they're not well-educated in the Bible. There are also people who uh, think they are and they are not. Uh, they, you know, for whatever reason, they major in the minors, as the saying goes. They they know all about the Sermon on the Mount, but nothing about the rest of the Bible or something like that. Or or they, they whittle it all down. Oh, bro, it's just all about love. That's it. That's the whole thing. It's all about love. Like, mm, well, love is certainly a big part of it, but wow. Is there a bunch more in the Bible than just about the message of love? So uh, for whatever reasons, there are people who don't um, really see things very well the way that God might want us to see them. And uh, if you're going to be a faithful person, uh, a really faithful one, well, you're going to go with God or you're going to go with the crowd. 
And so that's sort of the theme of today about uh, how real faith or authentic faith will swim against the tide of the crowd and will keep going after God's way of things. And so um, I hope that today's conversation is uh, quite an encouragement uh, to many because I know that not everybody has great family support for their beliefs, their values maybe. you know, aimed at God and the Bible and Jesus and and love and honor and truth and righteousness and all this. And maybe their family is not, and it's just a lonely world living where you live. I'm sure that happens a lot. Um, I have had my lonely periods in my life. Right now, I'm very blessed to have Kay and James, especially at home. Uh, And we constantly talk about these kinds of things. And so uh, my world is a little foreign right now to some who may be in quite a different place. Uh, so uh, I want you to know that I'm aware that uh, there are people who, who can't have the conversations they want to have. I mean, gee, I, I can't either. I I wish I had a roundtable of people that I could uh, discuss these things with, you know, once a month or so, even once a year. If If I had, you know, 20 people who are themselves all looking for uh, constant learning and trying to to discern the truth of matter and to put away inaccurate versions. Wow, how much stronger would I be? Because I would know that some of them would be working on topics that I don't know about yet, and I could learn from them and all that. Wouldn't that be fantastic? I was discussing with a friend uh, recently this very concept. He's like, oh boy, howdy, yeah, that would be great. And I said, really, even to have five? Uh, would be something, and he had to agree too. It just seems like it is difficult to have that kind of a fellowship today in our culture. And yet, what are you supposed to do? Okay, well, I just give up. This is too lonely. I don't don't want to bear the burden of the loneliness or the insecurity of it or whatever. So I'm just going to give up on truth and give up on righteousness and give up on my hope of these things. Well, that is uh, pretty silly. Uh, it may be understandable, but that is uh, quite a regrettable decision if someone were to make that. So I hope that you find this discourage, I mean, encouraging today. Uh, and I plan mostly just to tell some stories about my own experience and about uh, where I realized, oh, I'm in a spot here where I have to choose between what I think is right and what is popular in this uh, little church uh, subculture, you know, this congregation or this denomination or whatever. So uh, a lot of people also are in a church that doesn't seem to believe as much as they should. Uh, in other words, you go to a church who says, hey, uh, we are, we're God's kingdom, we're Jesus's church, um, we're, who knows what they say about themselves, maybe it's, uh, we are the New Testament church, we are a Bible-based church. And so you go there and you get to see their habitual you know, behaviors and attitudes about things. And you think, hmm, it doesn't quite add up to what I read about in the New Testament. So maybe you're sort of lonely in this way or feeling, you know, like uh, you are more critical of the state of the church than the church is, uh, that they are less interested in reform and self-correction than you are. And so uh, it can definitely be lonely out there. Uh, especially if you don't have anybody at home to talk to about it. So I hope this is uh, very encouraging today. And uh, who knows, maybe it'll be radical and uh, 
earth-shattering and controversial and all those things that uh, we often get into somewhat. So uh, before I get started, I just, I just had a few stories I want to tell, uh, one of them a little longer than the others. But uh, what is faith? This is a really good question because obviously it's one of the fundamental Bible themes, and as such, it can become a target for uh, misunderstanding or for, you know, deliberate uh, manipulation and spinning, twisting, that sort of thing. Uh, some people would tell you at the bare minimum, well, faith is just believing. It's just uh, you have, I have this belief. Uh, for example, although they would never use this example, I believe uh, that two plus two equals four. And uh, you probably do too. I would hope that you do. And so we do, do we say, oh, we have uh, faith in that. Well, that may be awfully shallow um, in, in terms of the way words like faith are used in the Bible. Is it just a mere mental assent to some fact or uh, to some convention in the society? Uh, for example, the word house is spelled H-O-U-S-E. So say uh, a, you know, a billion English-speaking people. Well, uh, okay, but you know the Germans spell it H-A-U-S, and that seems to work for them, right? So uh, is it just a matter of, of buying into somebody's convention? Uh, well, okay, that too is probably a little thin compared to Bible usage. So if you really want to get at what did they mean in the Bible about faith, uh, well, you you can go to a Bible dictionary. Well, the moment you do that, you are looking at what the dictionary writers think about it and how they interpret it, how they think it's used. Well, is their interpretation perfect? Well, probably not. I haven't met anybody yet who can interpret everything perfectly. So even there, you swim at your own risk a little bit. But hey, you know, we talk about that a lot. You swim at your own risk a lot when you uh, live in this world and you make daily decisions and when you open the Bible and make decisions about what it must mean and such. So what is faith? Well, let's just talk a little bit about uh, two of the words in the Bible. One is the noun version that's very frequently uh, translated as faith, and it's pistis, or pistis, depending on how you would pronounce the I. Um, we would spell it P-I-S-T-I-S. And uh, this is from Blue Letter Bible. I went over there to get their um, their dictionary definition. So let me just read this to you. Uh, it's from the, um, well, they give a Strong's number, 3982, if you need to know that. But it says uh, persuasion, that is credence, moral conviction of religious truth or the truthfulness of God or a religious teacher, especially reliance upon Christ for salvation, or abstractly, a constancy in such profession, or by extension, the system of religious uh, gospel truth itself, uh, assurance, belief, believe, faith, fidelity, right? So this is sort of how they take a stab at um, defining how the word is used in the Bible. And then there's the, the uh, verb version, the pistuo or pistuo, depending on how that should be pronounced, and uh, that simply, that means to have faith or uh, faith in or upon or with respect to, 
a person or a thing, uh, or that is to credit uh, or by implication to entrust, especially one's spiritual well-being to Christ, uh, to believe, uh, commit, to trust, to put in trust with. So this whole idea of, um, okay, I'm persuaded this way, I have this faith. Uh, the idea that I have a conviction, that I have my mind set on this thing. This is my attitude, my belief, my position. It is my default. It is my um, a core truth, a fundamental to me. This sort of idea is uh, where you get, and obviously people might want to um, take this across a gradient of strength. You know, probably the strongest word in all this about faith is reliance. Uh, for example, that old party game where you might blindfold a person and then it's a trust game. You have them fall backwards uh, with the guarantee that whoever's behind them will catch them and keep them from hitting the floor. And um, you will learn about people if you play this game that some will not do it. <laughs> and then some will. Uh, and of those who will, some of them are like, oh, yeah, there's no way you're not going to catch me. I totally trust you. And then others are like, well, uh, perhaps you'll catch me. Perhaps you won't. But even if you won't, I'm probably not going to die. And uh, I'm willing to take the risk. And even if I get a little hurt, well, okay, no big deal, right? So you have different kinds of reasoning among people. But the whole idea is, are you going to trust uh, the person behind you to catch you? Are they willing to catch you? Are they just just kidding around? But also, are they um, are they able to catch you? You know, if the guy's three hundred pounds and the one behind him is a hundred pound uh, teenager, well, maybe that's not the best <laughs> the best risk to take, right? So anyway, uh, with these ideas, you know, some people with the gospel say, "Oh, all you have to do is to believe that Jesus is Lord." Well, okay, what does that mean? Does that mean, well, look, I said it. Sure, I was convinced enough. I said the words, Jesus is Lord, so therefore I'm good to go. Well, that, uh, of course, is an extreme position. That is on the extreme light side of the gradient. It's on the the lightweight, um, fragile side of just barely meaning anything. That, oh, you believe you have mental assent to this one statement of fact that Jesus is Lord, and therefore, yes, ding, 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 you completely satisfy what all the Bible means by the word faith or belief. Well, uh, no, I think this is a big mistake, although a lot of people make that mistake. And then the other end of it is, oh, well, if you believe, then you will do. Uh, you will continue to rely upon. You will live as if the gospel is true, as if the warnings are to be heeded, as if uh, the example of Jesus is a standard for you and not just a nice to have, right? And so the other end of, I'm totally relying on this, I'm going this way, I believe in this, I make these decisions, I, I am convinced of this, I am persuaded, I have the moral conviction. So you see, I hope, the big gradient, the big uh, really light white on one side and darker, darker across until you get to the black completely, a saturated sign, and that's what we're looking at here. And so uh, the question is, well, 
what is authentic faith? I, I would think the more it goes to the right side where, oh, I'm all in, I'm going to live this way because that's, I believe it's the right way. I believe it's what God wants. I believe I'll be rewarded for it too. I believe my life will be better if I do this and so forth. Uh, that is the obvious good example of faith. Although some might try to argue that the lesser uh, examples over on the white side of the gradient are better. And I think that is wrong. And uh, a lot of people just know intuitively, they know that's wrong. And yet they try to justify that anyway. I, I remember uh, years ago, in fact, uh, incidentally, having uh, uh, when I first started studying baptism and realizing that the church I was in had a completely different take on it. Uh, and I remember sharing with some of my friends in a Bible study about what I had learned. And I saw how many of them wanted to punt the issue and not really deal with it. And, and one says to me, I'll never forget, well, at least I still have my faith. And to this day, I scratch my head like somehow in her mind, this was a way to um, be exempt from having to deal with the issue, right? She didn't want to take a stand. Well, I have my faith, so I'm covered, right? This was the sort of minimalist view that, well, if I have this, I, I'm okay. Even if I need to be baptized or don't need to be baptized, you know, whatever the, the words were. So, or whatever the issue was or whatever the, the conclusion would be. Uh, so anyway, this idea that, um, well, how much faith is enough? I think the faithful person does not ask that question. <laughs> the person who really gets it, they know, hey, I'm all in. Uh, like the Thomas Jefferson line, the truth, wherever it may lead. Well, okay, uh, Jesus, wherever he may lead. I'm going to uh, be like Jesus, and I'll discover along the way what that means, practically speaking. But it doesn't matter. I'm predecided wherever that leads, that's where I'm going. Right? So this is your, your fuller faith thing. And so um, I wrote, I did write down some bullet points here, sort of some one-liners about uh, the, the radical attitude of faith in God because you're stuck in this world right in the middle of the world. You're not stuck in this world right in the middle of God and his throne room where you can see him and all the faithful angels and whatever divine council members are there and such. You, you're not there. You're not in the middle of that influence and that crowd. You're in the middle of the world where uh, there are indeed some faithful people, but where most are at least compromised in their faith, if not uh, completely faithless altogether. So <laughs> I wrote these things down. Uh, how about this one? I don't care how the world lives. I was created, as were we all, to live in the image of God. See this idea of swimming against the tide? Or I don't care what way the world takes. I was created to live in God's way. Or uh, I don't care what the world's standards are. I'm aiming at God as the standard. It reminds me somewhat of uh, Henry David Thoreau, and I'm no Thoreau specialist. Uh, I have no idea how much of his stuff I would agree with or disagree with. But I love this one line and, and the thought that it inspires. He says, if a man does not keep pace with his companions, perhaps it is because he hears a different drummer. And of course, this is an illusion, uh, allusion to marching in an army or 
you know, in a band or a parade or something that you're out of step, you're at a different uh, pace. And well, maybe you have a different standard in your mind or, or as he puts it metaphorically, you hear a different drummer. And that's the idea here that I don't care what the world's doing. I'm aiming at uh, what God wants. Uh, here's another. I don't care how often, how often you tell me the wrong thing. I'm not in this for you. I'm in it for the truth. I'm not here to fit in with you. I'm here to learn how to fit in with God in that heavenly Jerusalem, that holy city. I'm not here to store up treasures that will be lost. I'm here to store up treasures in that holy city. I'm not here to believe whatever you believe about the Bible. I'm here to believe whatever the writers believed about it and what God believes about it. I'm not here to fit into the traditions of men, uh, but to learn the traditions of God. And of course, I'd add to that also, I'm not here to fit into the traditions of the church, but to learn the traditions of God. And uh, if you have not noticed, they're not always the same. (laughs) Uh, I'm not here to be the old man, but the new man. So pardon me if I don't stick around in a fellowship that's not interested in the new man. I'm not here to try to store my new wine in your old wineskin. I'm not here to protect you from the Bible. I'm here to learn it for myself. If that scares you, just remember that being your friend and keeping you you emotionally comfortable is not my priority in this world. Now, of course, you could say these things with a snarky attitude uh, and you know, trying to hurt, trying to uh, injure, but um, they don't have to be presented that way. These these are axioms that are based on principle. And you got to understand the faithful person is just not here to dance to your tune. They're here to dance to God's tune. Uh, here's another one. I'm looking for a new country, a country not my own. And of course, I'm talking about the whole conversation in Hebrews 11 and 12 about those faithful people who are commended for their faith that they're not... They don't just want, you know, five acres on the outskirts of town where they can raise chickens. Uh, What they really want is to live in a place that is of a higher character than this uh, world, which gets pretty ugly in some ways. Uh, Here's another. It's important to me to be godly, even if my being godly makes you uncomfortable. And indeed, it will make some people uncomfortable. They will start to throw you under the bus and turn the tables. Well, who do you think you are? You know, goody two shoes and all this sort of thing. Uh, and it could be that you lost weight and they didn't, or you uh, started cleaning your yard and, uh, you know, keeping the grass mode and they don't, uh, or that you do a good job at work and they don't. And so you make them look bad, right? Uh, Here's another, if you claim to have the same faith in God and Jesus, it's important to me that you live faithfully. So don't expect me to give you a pass if you're just into giving lip service. And this is a real thing. Once you have a real faith yourself where you realize, yeah, I'm supposed to do things, you know, obediently to God and, and loving, respecting God and all this. And you see other people who just give lip service to that, but then disobey frequently or who are frequently very ignorant about, you know, their doctrines or whatever. Um, If you have faith in God, you believe they should too, and this is going to create conflict between you and them. You're going to notice, and you're going to say something to them about it, and uh, they will either like or not like what you say. Uh, Here's another. 
I'm here to put the scriptures into practice in as much as I have the wisdom for that. So don't expect me to applaud you or support you when you ignore the scriptures or go against them. So again, this theme of, uh, you know, faith will swim against the tide. It will swim upstream in the river, even though everybody else may go the other way or maybe seem to go the other way. Or a lot of them are just trying to stand still, trying to hang on, you know, just grab a rock at the bottom of the river and, and hang on right here. So they're not getting anywhere, but they're still in your way, right? Uh, authentic faith can burst the seams of a false faith church or fellowship. You know, I recently quoted, uh, I think, uh, this quote from um, Don Marquis. He was a humorist in the late 1800s, as I understand. And I only know him for this one quote. He says, if you make people think they're thinking, they will love you. But if you really make them think, they will hate you. And this is probably pretty true as a general rule, at least. And I see some churches that are big on, oh, let's get out the Greek and let's learn the words. And, and you know, the, the teacher's got the whiteboard and the markers up front and they're constantly going over all these things. And it's very busy, very intellectually busy time. Uh, and so they certainly would think, oh, yeah, my old church, we didn't do nearly this kind of thinking about things. Uh, and so they, th they think they're thinking. However, uh, that same church can be way off on some of their doctrines, which shows that they're not really thinking through the scriptures, else they would notice. You see what I'm saying? They would notice that, uh, that they don't have all the facts straight, that they can't account for all the scriptures and what they mean. Uh, so they think they're thinking, but they're not really. They have a lot of activity that looks like thinking activity and studies and notes and, and you know, underlining things and all that. But they're not thinking about the big subjects uh, as they should. Another note here that I made, authentic faith can show the faults in faulty paradigms. And that's really some of what I want to talk about today and in the stories I want to share, that when you really believe, you put things to practice in ways that others who don't really believe are willing to do, and in ways that they're not willing to do, that is. You, you go above and beyond. And so that does tend to show uh, whether the prevailing faith in a, in a church, in a group, in a culture, whatever, subculture, uh, whether it is very authentic. I remember uh, just out of high school, went to get a summer job working as an OPS uh, worker, which is just uh, hourly flunky, in um, a state uh, department of motor vehicles. And my job was to make uh, photocopies of traffic accident reports. And we're talking just thousands and thousands of photocopies all day, all week. That's what we did. And so when I got there, you know, I came out of a family with a pretty strong work ethic. And uh, so I'm thinking, all right, going to apply myself. What can we do? And uh, it was not long until my coworkers were telling me, slow down, slow down. You are setting the bar too high. We'll all be expected to uh, work as hard as you if you work that hard. So we need you to slow down. <laughs> well, isn't that interesting? Because that puts me in a very awkward position 
where I'm to fit in here with the coworkers, I'm supposed to go against my own training, my own uh, disposition, my own convictions about these things, about excellence, about, uh, you know, diligence and stuff. And, and I'm going to tell you now, if I were to look back at myself at 18, I would not score myself very high on dis on diligence, but apparently I was higher than my coworkers, right? I think I could have done a lot better, uh, but I walked in the door apparently doing better than they were in the habit of doing. And so that caused some conflict. Well, this kind of thing is going to happen at church too, right? I mean, why would it not happen at church? And I think a lot of times the person who is, uh, who is more apt to want to do good works and see things work out and to fix problems and stuff like that. A lot of times churches in order to manage things will, uh, sort of pound that person down and say, Hey, uh, you know, hush, <laughs> I need, need you to cut that out. I need you to focus on something else, uh, because you're stirring the pot here. You're, you're raising dust and all this. And so uh, a, a fellowship can get itself where its prime directive is keep the peace rather than to keep the image, you see. Well, we want to keep uh, the peace. We don't want to keep God's way uh, because we prefer things being peaceful than we do to things being godly or things being uh, functional and, and all that. So anyway, I've thought about these stories. I feel like I'm cheating to do this episode today, but I don't care. Uh, especially once I learned about some friends being discouraged, I thought, ah, come on, let's, let's go ahead and do this now. And so I'll pretty much will be working off a script. I mean, meaning off script here, uh, not scripted, but I did make a note or two just so I didn't forget some of the details. Uh, but, uh, these, I would put these under, uh, several different uh, topics or under uh, categorical headings. One being, um, you know, what time is it? Um, what also was supposed to change between the first century and now? What all has changed? Some of them have to do with that. And then some of them have to do just with what I've been talking about so far, the difference between a um, the higher authenticity faith and the lower authenticity and how that causes strife in a fellowship. Uh, so uh, the first story I wanted to tell you um, where I think having a more authentic faith led me to discover some things. Uh, we had, uh, and I say we, uh, Kay and I had a very dear friend uh, back in Tennessee who had cystic fibrosis. And uh, so she was not expected to live long. I believe the at that time the average lifespan was 31 or something, and she was young. Uh, in her 20s at the time that we knew her. So uh, it was uncertain how long she might live. And yet she was so dear to so many people, um, particularly good-humored and a clever person and uh, seemed uh, particularly honest. And so uh, she was very dear to a lot of people, and yet it looks like she's just going to die early. And, uh, you know, we liked her a lot. It got me really thinking, well, wait, why does she have to die? Don't we read in the Bible about healing like all the time? And isn't there this promise in James chapter, whichever it is, I'd have to go back and look, but about, uh, Hey, if anyone's sick, go to the elders 
have them anoint the person with oil and, and pray and, and they will get better, period. And so I'm thinking about this. And uh, then, so I go to one of the elders. I say, hey, what about this? Why don't we do this? And he says, well, we, um, we've tried that before and it doesn't work. And now when I tell that story, I'm like, wait a minute. How come you're not preaching from the pulpit every week that, hey, we've tried this before and it does not work? How come you keep telling us, oh, you know, the Bible's word of God and and uh, that, you know, we are the church, we are God's kingdom. We're In fact, this particular group was like, we are the one true church. And several churches fall into that kind of uh, thinking about themselves as problematic as that can be. But um, it was the culture that, yes, we are the New Testament church. We do what's in the New Testament. We're in that same context. It's that same time now still, more or less, you know, give or take. And so, oh, okay. Well, I went home and studied out healing in the Bible, and I was not as good at Bible study then as I am now and was not as scholarly and was not as keen on trying to um, ward off my own biases and, and mental laziness and such. But I do remember studying it for quite some number of days, and I came to the conclusion that God seems, based on the Bible, quite to enjoy healing people. Well, uh, today I would tell you you know, a lot more than just that. I still would agree with that, but my, my conclusion then was, well, why wouldn't he do it now, right? And so what that did uh, for me, because I really believed it should be so, based on what I was reading and thinking that, yes, we're in that same context as the first century Bible people, then, well, yeah, we're going to take her to the elders and we're going to get her healed. But when they tell me, oh, this doesn't work, then I was in a spot really to learn something. Oh, so some things have changed from then until now. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, well, that cracks the door open, right? And then the question is, well, how, how widely open does that door have to be pushed in order to get everything through it that ought to go through it? You know, to, to make all the conclusions, to figure it out just right, well, what time is it now? But if this thing, now somebody else is going to say, well, the reason... <laughs> that they couldn't heal anybody is because they were somehow doing it wrong or God's not blessing you or your church or well, your church is heretical and therefore God's against you. See, that's why he won't. I'm like, okay, so if we bring the friend over to your church, can your elders heal her? And then, you know, suddenly there's no answer. Uh, so, you know, you'll find some silly objections to things sometimes, uh, even things that um, there are good objections for but not every objection you hear is a good one that's apt and well considered. <clears throat> so uh, in retrospect, what brought me to learning this was my faith. My, I was persuaded that, well, yeah, she, we ought to be able to ask God in this specific way that he said to do uh, through James, and it ought to work. And so that's why I pressed it. That's why I wanted it uh, done. Let's do it. 
is this well, put God to the test? Oh, no. This has put God to the faith, right? That he's, he said it, let's try it. And, but yet that does not work today. So, okay. Uh, what's funny, though, to me, and what's regrettable is that, like I said, that church did not regularly teach. Now, this doesn't happen anymore. You had to go ask to find that out, right? It's in the fine print somewhere. And uh, yeah, they still had us praying for people to be healed. Well, does that happen anymore? I mean, if we're, you got a Sunday prayer list and so-and-so's got cancer or they've got the flu really bad and pray for them. Well, hmm. if going to the elders won't have the person healed, why should we expect that the prayer would have them healed? Is that still happening? And of course, we're so not going to talk about this in that church. That was the 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 church culture uh, and their their paradigms depended way too much on that to have a discussion about that. That's non-negotiable. Uh, we are not going to have that talk here because uh, so much of our church culture is wrapped around, you know, even right down to well you know, Brother Billy's going to come give the sermon and let's all bow in prayer and pray that God will give him the words to speak. Well, I don't believe they're prophets anymore. I, I think that that is sealed up as per Daniel's prophecy. Uh, I think the time has come and gone and that prophecy is not in effect anymore. But if your church culture says, oh yeah, God is running the leaders and uh, telling them in some way or other what to tell us about, then you really don't want to go look there. And that's our church culture was sort of built on that. Even though it was not, uh, you know, what anybody would call a charismatic church or anything, they still wanted to sort of leave that door open that, oh yeah, pray for the sick and such. And so, uh, and I realize right now, this this may be greatly troubling some in the audience. What? That guy, that guy on that podcast says, uh, you know, that he doesn't think that healing is happening anymore. Well, I have good reason uh, to not think that. Now, you can look at the Bible and say, oh, but I have faith. Well, yeah, but faith in what? Faith in an anachronistic interpretation of the scriptures that, oh, well, this was happening in the first century. It must be happening now. You see? So uh, I was willing because I believed that we were in that same time, in that same context. I was willing to push it and, hey, let's go try this. Let's go find this out. Uh, well, I didn't know. I, I shouldn't have said that. I did not think, let's go find this out. I just thought, let's go do it because I know what's going to happen. Now, I didn't really know. I believed, based on what I was reading, uh, all being underlaid with the assumption that we are in the same situation as the first century Christians there in the New Testament. Well, uh, the elder was right. They had tried it before, and it did not work. And I have, uh, over the years, put out calls to a lot of people in different discussion groups, and I have never once found any congregation where this is working. I do uh, occasionally find that stubborn insistence, oh, well, our congregation over in Africa, you know, it, it's working. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so something about Americans makes them or Christianity doesn't work here, but it still works in Africa, right? Well, I find that implausible and certainly uh, a thing that is demanding of, of an explanation. Well, bro, people here just don't really have the faith. Hmm. 
funny. I had the faith to read it in the Bible, to think it was true, and to say, let's do it, elders. So is that somehow faithless? Are you telling me I didn't have the faith? Oh, the elders didn't have the faith. Oh, but they told me they had indeed tried it before. Was that faithless when they tried it before? Right? So somebody may want to hand wave this away and just say, well, you weren't doing it right. You didn't have the right attitude. You didn't truly have faith. Well, what is truly having faith if it's not trying to do the thing, expecting it's going to work as written? You see? So I take issue with the ones who try to explain it away that way. But uh, secondly, all that aside, okay, let's see then, like Hermione says to Ron Weasley when he's trying to do a spell, let's see it. Let's bring a sick person to your elders and let's have them healed. And I mean really healed. I don't mean just like, yeah, in six weeks they got a little better from the bronchitis they had. No, that's not uh, the kind of healing that was happening then. So, um, so anyway, there's that story. And I, I grew a lot because I dealt with that. Had I been afraid to go ask, then I'd have never heard the answer that you don't hear on Sunday mornings. And I'd have never uh, been in a position to really weigh all this out. And so who has more faith? The guy who would go ask or the one who just stays quiet about it? Well, I really wish you know she could be healed. That'd be great. Yeah, bro, that'd be awesome, <laughs> right? <laughs> that, that is not a faithful attitude in my book. If you, if you think these are the facts that we're in that time, then why aren't you going after that? And see, I think a lot of people never test the waters because they don't really have faith, but they'll keep on telling themselves, well, bro, I'll, I'll pray for you that you'll get better from your cancer, right? And then once in a while, when somebody does get better, like, oh, thank God, it was so awesome. Yeah, but what about all the other times where the people didn't get better and you never drew a conclusion? Well, it's a mystery, bro. You see, sort of leave it up in the air. Don't let the dust settle, right? We got to we got to keep it um keep it mysterious, keep it ethereal, keep it ungraspable. Well, yeah, I think that is the faithless way to do it. And and people doing that will tell themselves, "Well, you got to keep the faith, bro." by which they mean keep from drawing a conclusion on the matter because for them it is unconscionable that somebody would think that maybe something has changed since the first century. But the people who don't have real faith are never going to discover that. You understand what I'm saying? So I hope this is not too convoluted because I am I'm, this is not just a, a one-faceted thing, either have faith or, or don't. This is uh, two-faceted, either have faith or don't, in some proposition that is either true or not true. You know, what do you put your faith in, is, I guess, is one way we could look at that. So here's another story. Um, uh, the church I was in at the time, this is, I don't know, 20 years ago now. I don't, I don't know how long this is. Um, the church I was in had a culture where, Hey, we, we want to be the new Testament church. We want to do things like they did. We want to, um, you know, set 
uh, you know, defining Christianity for this generation, this kind of thing, that we're going to do it right. We're going to really be faithful and show the world how, what it really means to be Christians and all that. Uh, and we also got into that. Uh, we're the one true church thing. Uh, which several groups have gotten into that, and yet um, I haven't seen one yet where I couldn't find considerable differences between them and the church we'd read about in the New Testament. So it's it's always problematic, um, and I, I you know I don't go there anymore either because of that and other things. But anyway, I want you to understand uh, what we believed because that has to do with uh, how I had faith in what I had faith in and how I applied it. And so, you know, we considered ourselves, okay, we're going to be real disciples of Jesus and not just churchgoers, not just, you know, Christian in name only kind of thing, but really doing it. Okay. So th this was the, this was the group's uh, paradigm and it was um, a, sort of a high accountability thing, personal responsibility, bro, you're really slacking this week and such and such you need to step it up, you know, and so, um, and there's some good things about that. And then of course, there's certainly things that can go wrong with that, but this was the culture that we were living in. Right. Uh, so, uh, the church is split up into different ministry groups, you know, singles and marrieds and teens and campus and this sort of thing. And so we're also split up into small discipleship groups or, or Bible study, Bible talk groups, things like this. And so, um, I was at the time in the singles ministry. And things were going poorly, which meant um, mostly in that particular church culture that we were not getting, uh, the church wasn't growing. We were not uh, getting enough visitors. We were not uh, studying the Bible with enough people and seeing enough people uh, be converted over as a result of those studies. So uh, that was, if it wasn't the prime directive of the church, it was awfully high on the list that it was big time evangelism with high accountability. And so, um, anyway, I'm in the singles ministry and things had been going, uh, particularly, uh, poor, poorly in regard to all of that. And so we'd have these leaders meetings and one day the evangelist is yelling at us about how sorry it was going. And I don't know, there's, I don't know, 15 leaders in this singles group of, I don't know how many people, something like that. But he says, if just one of you would stand up and do anything, it would turn this whole ministry around. So uh, where I was at the time, uh, in my mind, uh, this is God's appointed leader because, hey, God appoints the leaders. That was a big axiom in our um, beliefs. And so God put him here. He challenged us. It must be true. Oh, boy, we really need to repent. We need to get on it. We need to do something. Well, okay. So we had, uh, these groups had uh, a man leader and a woman leader. So we were uh, co-leaders and, and, um, the, you know, the man would lead the men in the group and the women would lead the women. And, uh, my group, I, uh, I, and a co-leader, we had a group that had 10 altogether counting us in it. So they're pretty small groups. Well, we talked after that lesson, what shall we do? And, um, I thought, well, I felt convicted by what he had said. It seemed right to me. It seemed like, yes, we had not been doing nearly what we could uh, to get people to church. And as it turned out, there was uh, coming up the next Sunday, some sort of big uh, 
you know, a bring your neighbor day kind of a thing. Uh, I forget what they called it exactly, but it was a big push for leaders on this particular, not leaders for visitors on this particular Sunday. So we discussed it and we came up with a plan and it was quite the radical plan, but, uh, she seemed, uh, all in and I seemed all in. So, uh, here's what we decided to do. We're going to have a meeting that night, uh, with our Bible study group. And we were going to pitch to them this idea that this week we want to invite, uh, all of us together, a thousand people to church. So that would be on the average a hundred people each uh, over the week. And of course, <laughs> this is overwhelming to a lot of people, the thought of doing that. And of course, you know, these are normal people. They have their normal fears of not wanting, you know, like public speaking or to sing out or stand out or talk out or to put themselves on the line or to take the risk of inviting somebody and maybe you get rejected. And you do, when you do that, you do get rejected a lot. And so, you know, they were normal people with their normal aversion to such punishment uh, which is, you know, the way you tend to see that sometimes. If you're not really big on uh, the potential outcome of it, you'll see it as the the downside and not the upside. So anyway, uh, we want to uh, invite you to adopt this plan that we want to invite a thousand people for next Sunday. We had invitation cards handed out and you could, you know, hand them out and get somebody's name and number and remind them to come, whatever. Uh, and... Uh, you know, there's always that, well, we don't rely on yourself, bro. Rely on, you know, God and his strength and all that. And, okay. So we thought, all right, well, here's what we want to do. We want to meet every night and hold each other accountable and encourage anybody if anybody's discouraged and all that. So we'd have a meeting at nine o'clock for, you know, 30 minutes or an hour. We'd pray together, talk about how it went. Where are the numbers now? Are we living up to this or, or not? Do we need to get back on track? Uh, and also we thought, well, okay, um, whoever is, feels like you can do this without wrecking your week logistically, let's even have sleepover. All the guys come over to Jack's place and all the, uh, girls go over to the other place. And, and, uh, that way you can get up and pray in the morning and get each other all fired up for the day and all this. And we decided also that, um, we would do what, what I would call a fruit fast sort of as a pun. And that was the idea, not that you're not eating anything, but that unless you're eating with potential fruit, you're not eating. That is, we would consider, you know, converts to be fruit as, you know, the whole bearing fruit kind of thing. So, so it was a pun, you know, a fruit fast. So if, <laughs> if you wanted to eat, you better grab a coworker and uh, take them to lunch or, you know, something like this, be sure you're spending your time with somebody uh, and inviting them, of course, to come, you know, sharing your faith with them or, or whatever. So anyway, this was our plan and we pitched it to the group and they all said, okay, we'll do that. Uh, a couple didn't do the sleepover part, which is totally understandable, but, um, they all bought in to all of it. Uh, and we're like, okay, well, we're on our way. Let's do the thing. So here comes Monday and, um, uh, I get through my day. It's five o'clock. I've invited three people. It's like, well, let's see. I have a hundred to invite all week on day one. I've invited three, <laughs> not a good start. So I call my, uh, my guy, my, my Lieutenant, you know, and I say, Hey, uh, how'd it go? He's like, Oh, I had a terrible day. I didn't invite anybody. I said, okay, 
Well, get ready. I'm coming to get you. So I go to get him. You know, I told him I'd only invited three. And then uh, we, um, we go to Walmart. We're passing out cards. And uh, after a while, they invited us to leave. We were you know, standing out at the front soliciting, right, uh, which is against their policy, uh, and understandably so. And uh, actually, that evening, we got uh, uh, booted from th- all three Walmarts in town. Uh, and one of the other guys did join us and all that. So, uh, at that, uh, in that evening before our nine o'clock meeting with the whole group, we had, uh, reached about 300 people. And so we quite turned it around with the goal of a thousand for a week. We had 300 already done. It's like, okay, that's actually a pretty good start. So we get to this nine o'clock meeting and we discuss it ahead of time. We determined to act like everybody else in the group, whatever, if their demeanor was down, we were going to act low like that, you know, and see, and indeed when we got there, uh, they were sad and they kind of had, we, we said, well, so how'd it go everybody? You know, what, what did you, uh, what'd you get done today? How many did you invite? And we got small numbers and some zeros and, and all this. And so, um, so then I shared about, uh, how our evening, uh, how our day had gone uh, so dismally. And then how the evening had been once we turned it around at five thirty. And uh, they really got fired up about that somewhat. Uh, of course, some of them still maybe kind of hoping that we don't really have to do this. They were kind of hoping that failure would be okay, that we would accept, well, okay, it's not a good day. Well, well let's try harder tomorrow, you know. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the week went on, and uh, we stayed pretty true to plan. And I remember calculating in the end, uh, that we had invited somewhere probably around 1,200 people altogether during the week. And so, um, and I wish I had, you know, kept official numbers, but I, my conscience was completely clear we're in excess of 1,000. And so this was a huge success. We had, we had done the thing. We believed it was the right thing to do. We believed God would bless it. So we wanted to be faithful. We prayed and we fasted and we, went out of our way all week and we sacrificed, um, to make it happen. Uh, we did notice throughout the week that, uh, some of the other singles in the singles ministry seemed to be avoiding us. And we did find out, um, that some of them were nervous. They're going to be made to do the same things. So they just had to sort of stay away. I think there was some tension like, okay, great. Look, well, I sort of like the, the photocopying job, right? Oh, they're making us look bad. If they keep that up, we're going to be expected to work at that pace too, something like that. So, and you know, that's not surprising for people to think like that. Even very good people, uh, have bad thinking sometimes. So, okay. So here we come and it's now Sunday morning and it's time for this big church meeting that we've invited, uh, 1200 people to, and, uh, we got zero visitors. And in fact, you know, 30 minutes before church, I'm asking everybody, so what do you got? What do you think? Who's coming? Have you called to confirm with people that, you know, the ones that would give you a phone number that you know how to get in touch with? And we had, I think only like, oh, what was the number? Maybe three commitments to come out of all that. And then we had a zero um, who actually showed up. Well, we were crushed. Uh, We were so sure it would be a victory. We truly believed it, and why would we not believe it? Why wouldn't it be a victory? Uh, why would our faith not be blessed? We had 
been called to do something, and indeed we did stand up and do something. What we thought was basically a prophetic word that if any of you would stand up and do anything, it would turn this whole ministry around. Well, we most certainly did anything. In fact, we did anything of the very kind of thing that we were constantly being told was the right and proper thing to do, and that is evangelize, evangelize, evangelize. So, okay. So we actually did the thing. We'd been fussed at like forever, and the whole church is fussed at forever for not doing more. Well, we definitely did a bunch that week. And so why would we get a zero? And again, these same questions come up. Well, oh, God wasn't blessing you. Uh, well, okay, why not? Well, there must have been sin in the camp. Okay. Uh, and so God would keep people from coming because somebody in our group is holding a grudge or lusting or, you know, smoking again. You know, really? Okay. Of course, that's always an easy explanation, right, for somebody who's sort of hand-waving away. So um, yet we had invested a lot, and we did it in faith. It, was, it wasn't like, look at us. We're going to prove that we're the best Bible group in the whole, you know. That wasn't going on. I was there. It, we, it just wasn't. So anyway, it was our habit uh, after uh, church for the singles to go out to lunch at some restaurant and we would all, uh, flood some place and go there. And, uh, I went up to the singles leader afterwards and he said, how'd it go? I said, we got zero. And of course, you know, he was disappointed. And he said, um, he said, well, you know, come on to lunch and, you know, we'll try to encourage you or something along these lines. I said, well, would it be okay if just today, we went off and had lunch by ourselves so we can sort of lick our wounds and get ourselves uh, back into shape to go on living. And he said, yeah, sure, that'd be fine. So we went to Taco Bell and we went across the street to the big lake and sat on the lawn. And, um, you know, the mood was obviously down. Uh, people didn't know what to make of this. It didn't seem right. Uh, and, you know, just all kinds of insecurity or frustration or whatever. And I remember uh, this was uh, kind of funny because when we were going to pray before our, uh, our meal, I said, well, let me pray. And so I said, you know, whatever about the food. And then I said something like, God, I'd really like to thank you for this zero we got today. We've had lots of zeros before from being lazy, but this zero we really worked for. I feel like we really earned this one. <laughs> and so everybody laughed. It was pretty funny. I keep remembering that for years and years. Because they know exactly, yeah, we normally take a beating for being lazy. Well, this time we weren't, but we still get the big zero. Well, I can't remember whether this happened um, before the lunch or later that day in a leaders meeting. But the preacher says to me, I heard what you did. That was really good, but don't do it again. Wait, what was that? <laughs> he says, don't do it again well, wait a minute, this is what you've been preaching for years. Boy, if only somebody had the faith, if only somebody would really go after it, God would bless it and bless it and bless it, and it would be fantastic. You know, it was our culture that we're going to read frequently about the first day 
in uh, in Acts 2. And Peter's sermon and about 3,000 souls were added to their number that day. And a couple of chapters later, they'd grown to 5,000. And then there's this and that and more. And many people came to believe and such. We thought it was that time. We were being told the reason you're not seeing this is because you're not working hard enough. It's because you're not doing it right. And so now that we push it, we find out the leader says, well, don't do that again. Well, wait a minute. Uh, this is sort of one of those Wizard of Oz, wizard behind the curtain moments when Toto pulls the curtain away and you see that it's not a wizard at all. It's just a man back there pulling the levers and such. The whole thing had been that if you do this work, if you're faithful, that God will bless it and we'll see the same kind of uh, conversions that they had in the first century. The whole church was built on that. It was all one big evangelistic uh, focus. And yet when we finally stand up and do the thing, and we did it unapologetically, we, we did it unreservedly, we didn't compromise that week. We, we showed our true selves on that Monday by having a lousy day. And I don't know, the whole group together probably hadn't invited 10 people by 530. Uh, that was our normal habitual selves. That was what the preacher would fuss about every week. Uh, but we actually repented. We changed our minds and we did the thing and we did it in grand scale. It wasn't like, okay, we're going to each invite, uh, you know, three a day, but no, we need to each invite a hundred for the week. And, um, and everybody knew this was quite an accomplishment to get that done. So we did the thing based on what we believed. We thought that's what time it was. And therefore we acted in accordance with it being that time. And it did not work. But if we had not done that, I would never have gotten in that conversation where the preacher says, well, that was really good, but don't do it again. Just like with the friend with cystic fibrosis, had I never pressed it with the elder, hey, why don't the elders get together and anoint her with oil and pray over her and have her healed? I would have never heard that, well, we've tried that and it doesn't work. You see? Now, the whole church culture, this mini society that, that is a church congregation, you know, they've got their paradigms and their values and their beliefs and practices and all that. And they all think evangelism is a good thing. Uh, and they all think it's not going as great as it ought to. And they all think, yeah, we probably should work harder. And well, okay. So here's a group who one week decides, okay, well, we're doing it. We're going to do it. We're all in. And you would think, wow, uh, you know, you remember that time, <laughs> James and I were joking. You remember that time that this or that happened? Well, you would think this would become the stuff of which legend is made. Oh yeah, that time that Bible talk invited 1,200 and they had, you know, 137 visitors to church. Well, no, we got zero. So what our faith did was it tested the paradigms. 
And again, some naysayer will say, no, it must have been pride in your heart and God opposed you. Yeah, okay. And and you know this how, <laughs> right? But I mean, it's easy to take pot shots like that at somebody. Uh, in fact, uh, I guess I'll talk about that in a minute. That was kind of one of the ways it rolled in a uh, in a subculture like that. This kind of criticism, you had to find some way to explain the failures and so you level it at the person. Well, you must not be truly faithful or you must not be faithful enough, right? Or there must be some sin that uh, you're hiding that God is, uh, uh, is opposing you for. Uh, okay, well, you know, you keep playing that song long enough, you're going to get people who believe that they're totally corrupt and have no good thing in their minds and can't even wish for a good thing because they're just so corrupt. And that was very, um, um, I, I can't think of the word right now, but it, it was a very crushing thing. It, it would crush people. I remember um, work in a different congregation, same denomination, working under an evangelist who would frequently pound people like this fussing about them for their failures to be evangelistically hyper-fruitful, which was the, um, the paradigm of the group. And he would tear them down. Well, I was a Bible talk later there, and I had some guys under my charge, and they had issues and, you know, serious life issues, and was trying to help build them up and keep them encouraged and keep them moving forward. But he would come tear them down. And, you know, petty things and things that had to do with unrealistic expectations and all that. And so I felt like, well, I'm in the fray here trying to, you know, in the trenches working with the real guys. But he just comes in and discourages by rebuke, rebuke, rebuke all the time about their mostly evangelistic failures. Well, wait a minute. In the other congregation, the evangelist says, uh, that was good, but don't do it again. As if somehow this is not really good. <laughs> we, we can't afford to have a steady diet of people doing that very thing. We do better when we're fussing at them about not doing it than when they're actually doing it. Think about that. And so and eventually I'm going to get rebuked in this kind of setting. And I'm told the line, uh, by one of these two same preachers, that being unified is more important than being right. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, wait a minute, especially now, especially with my view now, wait a minute, being unified with others is more important than being right? Are you telling me that being unified with my church co-members is more important than living in the image of God, that it's more important than understanding the scriptures right or putting them into practice right? Really? Is that the priority here? And I submit that's messed up. I am so not a perfect man, and, I, and <laughs> even so, I'm closer to perfect today than I was back then. 
so I so don't mean to paint a picture here where Jack was always perfect and everybody else was always wrong about everything. Indeed, uh, while it certainly could have happened more, I did get a few life-saving, life-saving rebukes here and there that really changed my thinking and helped me be a better person. And what I mean, more like the image of God. And we're all swimming at our own risk and doing our best or not. And we're seeing our best get better or not. You know, we're either conscientious disciples trying to mature or we're not, right? But it's that not that might as well be the same question as, is your faith authentic or do you have some other kind of faith? You know, are you, you, if you think that's what time it is, where we're all under the Great Commission and evangelism is pretty much one of our major responsibilities, whether you'd put it at number one, two, or three on your list, I don't know, but it's up there pretty high. If you think that's what time it is, then do you really have faith? Because why aren't you out there doing that? If you think that you're, that love is where it is, and some people will size up the whole gospel as the top three um, points of the gospel are love, love, and love, right? <laughs> and then after that, well, well, the details are just incidental, but you know, be sure you get the love thing down. Well, okay. Of course, it's the question, what does that mean? But if you think love's the big thing, okay, are you going after it like you really believe that? And and it totally relies on what you think love is too, because to some people, love is all good feelings. Well, that brother felt bad after getting rebuked and I just wanted him to feel good. So I went and told him it wasn't really all that bad. Well, now, <laughs> whoa, wait a minute. You're like the anti-conviction now. He's convicted about his sin. You're like, no, it wasn't all that bad, bro. Be encouraged. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. You're, you're going after feelings. You're not going after somebody changing. Because you know what? A person can get their feelings hurt and repent. And then come back, just like in the last episode, justifying God, saying, yes, the rebuke was right. Yes, I did need to repent. Yes, I was in sin. Yes, I did repent. Yes, I'm better for it now. I'm very thankful. I'm glad for the rebuke. I'm glad I got corrected. I'm glad there is truth. And I was against the truth. And now I'm not. And, you know, on that, on that topic, you see. Uh, but some people, their whole thing is, oh, the, it should all be about good feelings. Well, Okay. You know, again, we all swim at our own risk. We make bad decisions in interpreting the Bible and how things go. But uh, I hope you can sort of see some of what I'm talking about here today, that that a person that has a real faith, that they're truly persuaded, and they're not just going along to get along. You know, do you have true faith or are you just trying to fit in at church? Are you going to stand up to sin and error when you see it happening or not? Are you going to go along just to get along with others? Or are you going to go along to get along with God? Or are you going to go along with God because you truly believe and are persuaded that God's way is the right way to go? You see, that's sort of like three groups there. Some just trying to fit in at church, some trying to fit in with God, and some who actually love God. I just adore, I think he is fantastic. I want to be like that. 
not. And that's different from, well, yeah, I want to do these things so I don't get in trouble with God. Not that that last one is a stupid position, but it falls short of, man, I really think God is great and I want to be like him in as much as it's possible for a human to be like God. And it is possible in some ways. You can have some of the same convictions and the same character traits, although you don't have the same power. And that's pretty well understood, I would think. So uh, what are you in it for? I think a lot of the churches obviously get toward the don't rock the boat, let's keep the people in the pews, let's keep the numbers where they are or higher, let's never go down in membership, that must mean some sort of emergency is going on. Um, We've got to protect the status quo. Well, when you do that, you have ruled out excellence. If you're afraid of offending anybody, you really can't count on helping anybody. Because if you're going to tell the truth, there's always a liar who'll get offended. Or there's always a neglectful person who'll get offended. Or there's always a proud person who simply won't want to be corrected. And they'll get offended. So if that's the game you're playing you're basically swimming with the tide. Come on, tide, and we're all, uh, you know, bumping along here, and please nobody mess this up. Nobody point out where we could do better, uh, what's wrong with this, and so forth. I was beat down for many years in cultures like that where they want to protect the status quo and they're not really trying to, hey, everybody here, let's all mature. Let's all grow and learn and overcome. Let's all endure. Let's um, learn to avoid our sins and overcome them and such. That was not the prime directive. The prime was something else. Either it was the big evangelism thing or it was just, well, let's keep the peace, which always in my mind brings up the Old Testament I think this happens more than once where um, a prophet is saying he's criticizing people for saying um, peace, peace, when there is no peace, meaning there is enmity between you and enmity between you and God, and yet you're acting like there's not. And so this is the big beef I have with so many of the churches. Uh, if they are about authenticity, I don't see it. I see them being about uh, keeping the status quo and not really about being about the image. The image, while it may be a target of opportunity, is simply not their prime directive. And I think that's messed up. Uh, and I, you know, I've, whether I'm right or not, you know, that's for you to judge, I suppose. But I have, um, I think, made been making myself pretty clear in all these podcasts that this is the way I lean, that whether I'm being authentic to the image of God or not is the prime issue. I think that's what we'll be judged about. Not how well were you unified with your churchmates, but how well were you unified with God? Uh, That's what I think it's about. So uh, I wanted to share this one more story. And it was, you know, in the same time all those years ago. I was working for a pest control company (laughs) uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. And, uh, you know, had moved from one city to another and, uh, so, you know, still trying, I wanted the Bible to make sense. I wanted to understand 
what um, time it was, what was really going on, how are things really, why do we have problems in the church that we don't seem to be able to overcome? Why isn't it working? Why are we constantly getting fussed at for the church not growing like everybody thought it should after reading uh, the Acts in the Bible? You know, why is this? And uh, it, and not everything about this church was bad, mind you. I am so not saying that. But there was such a hyper accountability and people being quick on the trigger to criticize and to blame you. It must be sin in the camp. There must be something wrong with you. That's why this is not working. And we chewed each other up. We devoured one another in this way. I certainly did it too. I am very regretful for that. And it was certainly done to me. Uh, you can tell from my disposition, I tend to be more on the active side of thinking than the inactive side. And that has always been um, difficult for those around me who are not also active thinkers. Because I'll say stuff out loud. Well, I was thinking about this, or I was wondering about that, or, well, how can that be? Or, well, why don't we try, you know? And so many are just like, uh, would you slow down? Because we're not about that, right? And I know there are a lot of people who are like me in that way. They tend to be more the thinker than the average bear, uh, more apt to say it out loud, more apt to cause trouble. Uh, and trouble in the eyes of a leader who's just, just a status quo kind of leader, don't rock the boat kind of leader. Uh, not trouble in the eyes of Jesus, mind you. Uh, but uh, so after a while, you know, uh, like so many of the rest of us, I had been beaten down so much. Wow, Jack's prideful. Uh, the actual word is proud, but in that culture, prideful was the word that we would use. Well, he's a loose cannon. Well, you know, bro, when I hear you talk, I hear a lot of Jack in that. I don't hear a lot of Jesus in that. Like, uh, okay. So it's the thought stopper kind of, you know, unhealthy thing. They, uh, whatever it takes to protect leadership, protect the status quo. And it was just so tiresome and it wore so many people out. I remember we were so worn that uh, in the singles ministry, when it came Christmas time and the leaders would go out of town and there's finally there's a Friday night where there's no group activity to have. We just felt like we died and go into heaven. It's like, Hey, let's go to a movie. Really? You think that'd be okay? I mean, <laughs> not be out evangelizing or going to a devotional, but just go enjoy a movie. You know, we felt like we were somehow cheating to get away. It was this kind of pressure. And, uh, and I know a lot of churches, uh, have this, not just the one denomination. So I, uh, this is not me picking on the one, but on the many, uh, and hoping they will get out of this uh, trap that they've got in. But I remember having been so accused for so long and, you know, mixed in with this is all my own life and my own life mistakes and the tragedies that happened and the bad decisions and so forth. And, you know, so it, it's all kind of trauma. It's all, it's all mixed up like it is for so many of us because who has a perfect life? Very few. Uh, however, I remember this moment of epiphany I had. I'm out running my route as a pest control technician 
which job was not uh, well suited for me. But hey, uh, if you saw my resume, you'd be impressed at the length of it, even if not at the particular items on the list. So um, I'm taking a break and I just can't stand it. I'm on a very short lunch schedule and uh, I pulled over in some public park and I'm standing out in the middle of this huge field just by myself. And I realized uh, something very contrary to what I had been taught to think about myself. I realized just the truth about myself. Uh, Jack Pelham wants to do the right thing. Well, that was a big moment for me. Because I realized, yeah, between me and God and the Bible, I want to do what's right. So I don't really care about doing anything else, even if it means I have to change and learn to do better, uh, uh, repent of this or that, uh, and improve in this and that, learn in this or that. Okay, that's what I want to do. I, I want to do the right thing, whatever that is. It's sort of like the Thomas Jefferson, the truth, wherever it may lead. Well, I want to do the right thing, wherever that may lead, whatever that may lead to, whatever might constitute the right thing. Well, that was a really big moment. And after that moment, I think this was a bit of a watershed for me in my life because after I figured that out, I was more apt to take a stand and less apt to keep shutting up. I The thought stoppers didn't work on me as well. Oh, bro, you, you just like to argue or, you know, it's like, no, I'm trying to tell you the right thing. Oh, bro, you're being divisive. Uh, no, I'm trying to bring you back to the image of God, to the way of God, to truth and justice and righteousness and get you to sound doctrine and sound practice. If that is divisive, you are wanting to have a camp that is in sin on purpose. And so that's not what the apostles were talking about when they used the word divisive, you see. So basically, if you want to call that divisive, where Jack's calling people to correct errors and fix problems, then you're in some camp that is not for being error-free and problem-free. <laughs> you see, that's messed up. And so uh, once I realized, no, I actually do want to do what is right and best, well, then I became way less vulnerable to the constant um, manipulation of being blamed for everything that goes wrong. Well, y'all must not have enough faith. You must not be doing it right. There must be sin in the camp. Well, you, God's opposing you. This is why it's not working. Suppose I had said to those elders, ah, well, the reason you can't heal our dear friend with cystic fibrosis is because there's sin in the camp. You must be hiding some terrible sin and God is opposing you. <laughs> well, that would not have gone over well. Right? Suppose I had challenged the leaders on other things. Uh, in fact, I did a couple of times and it never went well. It was funny. Uh, they'd say, well, being unified is more important than being right. I'm like, okay, unified to what? To what standard? To what anchor of truth shall we all attach ourselves? And it's always to the leader. Oh, okay. 
so nobody else in this congregation can ever catch the leader in an error. No one could perceive it, right? Because the leader's from God and don't question the leader. Well, okay. If he is from God, why aren't we being led toward God? And why aren't we seeing the success that we would expect based on the paradigm that we all accept that we're pretty much in the same context as the New Testament church, and therefore we ought to see the same kind of miraculous growth that they saw? If he's from God, how come he's not taking us there if there is indeed where we're supposed to be, which is the subject of pretty much every sermon? Oh, we're not there yet. Y'all need to keep working. Well, okay. Now, this is not Jack talking against work. In fact, uh, I work a lot to do what I do. I've worked a lot on Bible study. I work a lot on this podcast. You know, I've, I, I was working back then. That week we invited the 1200. That was lots of work. Lots of things are lots of work. So this is not me saying that, oh, Christians ought not work at stuff. In fact, you've heard 30 episodes plus so far where I talk about how uh, the grace that Paul teaches is one that, quote, uh, caused me to work harder than, than them all, <laughs> end quote. So, you know, if somebody wants to not listen to what I'm saying, certainly they can find excuses, find ways to twist it about. But... Uh, the reason I wanted to share these stories is for several reasons. Like I said, one, we do get ourselves caught in some bad thinking about what time it is. What should our expectations be? And if we're not careful, we blame it on each other when it doesn't work out. And this is very common human stuff. Uh, one psychologist told me once that, well, look, uh, a lot of people have some sort of void inside and a lot of their life becomes about, well, how am I going to go about trying to fill this void? And uh, a lot of them, rather than finding some manner of self-fulfillment to be uh, a self-sustaining, mature type person, they choose to target other things like, well, I, I need a boyfriend and that would fill me up. Or I need a family. I need to have kids and that will fill me up. Or uh, it's money and success and career, uh, you know, whatever. And so they go after these things and then it still doesn't fill up whatever that inner unmet need is. And then uh, sometimes they will get mad at those other things. Well, what if those other things are people? What if you say, oh, okay, well, our church, we are really going to work together and evangelize and be great at this, and it's going to go awesome, and we're going to grow you know, 100% every year or something like that. We're going to double every year. Um, well, what if that doesn't happen? Well, what do you go after? Well, you go after the people. Well, the church just isn't fruitful enough. They, they're, they're not serious enough about the Great Commission. They, they, they lack security. They, they lack maturity and confidence. And, like, and you just keep doing that. Well, uh, funny, you may not realize, but the more you do that, you're pounding your people down when, in fact, the problem may well be something else, that you have unrealistic expectations about what to um, what should be expected. And, uh, I say that particularly with the evangelism thing. I do not say that when it comes to maturity and to godliness. In fact, I think so many churches have expectations that are too low when it comes to that. They will let, uh, sins go on and not correct them. 
they will let errors go on. You know, I've talked so many times on this uh, podcast about that First Corinthians sixteen two thing about you know people say the Lord commands us to take up this collection every Sunday. Nope, that's wrong. That's an error. Uh, Paul commanded them back then about a different congregate of a different uh, collection in a different time and circumstance and place for a different reason. And you're trying to make it be about your regular weekly thing. And you're incorrigible about that. You won't change. You won't listen. You won't be corrected. You're going to keep using it anyway. Well, somebody in your, in your midst stands up and says, look, this is wrong. It needs to stop. We can't keep doing this and be faithful to God. And then that person is probably told in one way or another, whether pointedly or not, that you've got to stop saying that. And we're not going to change it. Or they're told, yeah, bro, great point. And then next Sunday, the next guy who does the talk up there says the same thing. And there's no correction. And the guy who brought it up before us is throwing his arms up to the elders like, hey, hey, uh, this is still going on. Well, bro, you got to understand. And you find out that, well, they didn't really intend to fix it in the first place. And my question is, okay, dude, do you have any faith or not? Especially if you're an elder or a pastor, which uh, strangely uh, comes from the same word from which we get elder, and yet people make a distinction because of these invented modern church offices, pulpit minister and such. You won't find that in the Bible, but, <laughs> but I digress. Uh, do you really have faith? If you're a church leader and you're not leading your church to keep correcting and learning and growing and improving themselves. In fact, uh, someday I'll fuss about this a lot uh, on this podcast. Every once in a while you run into somebody who'll say, and this is the guard dog type, well, the church is not a self-improvement course. Really? When I read the Bible... I see Peter saying things like, well, you should add to your faith, goodness and knowledge and gentleness and self-control and all these things, because if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your faith or something like that. This is years since I uh, called myself memorizing that, but you get the idea. I see it all over the place. You should grow and learn and correct yourselves and correct one another and get better at things. And do it more and more. Yet somebody will say, well, the church is not a self-improvement course. Well, what is it then? Is it a self-unimprovement um, course? Is it a, a self-defense course where we don't have to go after these things? No, we're covered by grace, bro. And we don't have to learn and grow and become like Jesus and act like Jesus and help people like Jesus. No, we don't have to do any of that. Grace has us totally covered. I'm like, okay, I see where you're coming from, and I don't think that's faithful. I think that's unfaithful. And yet you're going to tell me probably if you are in an American church, and I don't know anything about the churches in the rest of the world, so that's why I don't talk about them. But if you're an American church, you're probably going to tell me that you're covered by grace and that you are under the Great Commission. Yet, most of you are not growing well, even though you think you're under that commission. So how come it's not working? You see? So uh, I don't intend anything I'm saying today to be an endorsement of 
this or that doctrine, uh, a few things I mentioned today are things that I don't believe anymore and that I wish others didn't uh, if they would um, look at them carefully. And But again, that's only if you're marching to the beat of the godly drummer. If you're marching to the beat of the congregation, of the status quo, of the denomination, of the tradition, well, there's no need to change anything. Tradition, we all feel good when everything's like it was last week and last year and last decade and last century. You see? So uh, this is quite a messy world. And if you're in the church business, uh, that's messy too. And if your eyes are open, you will see it. And then, well, what are you going to do about this? Uh, is it true that bad company corrupts good character? Paul said it was true. Is it still true now? <laughs> Can you keep going to a fellowship that keeps cheating in these kinds of ways and isn't really um, living faithfully toward whatever they think the truth is? Again, they might be wrong or they might be right about this or that part of the truth. Uh, but whatever they think, are they faithfully going after that and living in that way and putting it into practice? Well, for many, the answer is no, they're not. So what kind of people are we if we're doing that? Well, I did that for a long time. And if I'm going to be honest with myself, I have to realize I'm probably still doing that in some ways that I have yet to discover. Or maybe in some I have discovered and have somehow hand-waved away and have tried to ignore and have done a good job of forgetting about. Because the road to hypocrisy is a short one. So, I think that faith in God, you know, one thing, and in fact, I've been talking about this, this whole life and doctrine, the two wings of the airplane thing. And let me say one more thing about why I have the position I do. If you're not watching your life first, and by that I mean even more particularly your thoughts, I mean the quality of how you manage your mind. Do you manage your beliefs well? And do you correct yourself when you realize you're wrong? If you're not doing that, then how you apply your faith is going to take a dive. And before you know it, you've got it all whittled down to, well, I keep coming to church, ergo, I must still be faithful. But that's a far cry from, look, I'm trying to live in the image. And I have temptations every day to fall short of that. And I need to keep doing what's right. And so there's the big difference. Are you chasing the church or are you chasing God? You're living according to the fellowship or according to the image. And I think that for so many, this is such a big problem. And for many who want to do right, they are just so worn out. I'll say something radical. I think there's times when you need to leave a church. What did he say? <laughs> yeah, you heard me. Come out from them and be separate. We left in 2002, Kay and I, a church we'd been in for 17 and 18 years. Um, met each other near the end of that time, got married, 
and then left uh, pretty quickly thereafter after we put our heads together and started comparing notes on what all was going wrong. And we're like, you know what? We'd rather get out and be able to think straight and not under the constant criticism that, oh, that's prideful. Oh, that's independent, bro, and all this. And so we left. And and lots of others left too, uh, not too long after we did. And many of them were scattered to the winds. But we went home and studied the Bible. And we were at first we felt insecure that we don't have the church looking over our shoulder, making sure that we're okay and what we're doing is approved and all this. Uh, but after a while, we realized, oh, we were wrong about so many things we believed in the church and that were taught from the pulpit and in the classes and all that. We were wrong about so much of that. Uh, and if we were still back in that culture, we would not be free to discover these things. We did discover some by our faith, by pushing hard for what we believed should be. And that's the stories I've told here today. And so we learned, we did get to peek behind the curtain from time to time and see that, you know, this church isn't really what it thinks it is. It, it doesn't really work like they think it does. It ought not really have the expectations it has uh, because they don't work when you do put it into practice. And so it's almost like a lot of it was a practice of an exercise in not putting into practice the things that we say ought to be put into practice and then giving ourselves a pass for that in one of two ways. Either we give ourselves a grace pass. Well, thanks be to God Almighty who covers all of our woeful, wretched selves and who forgives us anyway. Um, or it's the, well, work harder, work harder, work harder. Uh, but never learn, you know, keep working, but don't learn. We busted the curve. You know, the, the student in the class that gets an A when everybody else, the best they got was a C. Well, okay. So that happens sometimes in church too. Right. And uh, a few times we busted the curve like that. And we put it to the test and it didn't work. Well, okay. These are hard things to deal with. These are soul searching things. We went home and we dealt with the hard questions. Okay, does God really exist? Well, boy, that's a scary question to ask because what if the answer is no? Well, we concluded the answer is, yeah, we think the answer is yes, and it's a reasonable answer to believe. And even though we can't prove it, um, it was also very attractive, a very attractive thing uh, to us because of what kind of people we are, that we wanted there to be a God like the God in the Bible. And more and more we realized that the God in the whole Bible and not just bits and pieces of it that sound uh, particularly nice. So um, anyway, it's been a long journey uh, for us as it is for everybody who is trying to apply their brains to life and to godliness. And so I know that many are discouraged and they don't have anybody to talk to, to share with, to talk honestly about these things because they feel like they're going to get in trouble for not fitting in with the status quo, for raising the dust, for unsettling people. Oh, bro, you're causing people to struggle with their faith. Uh, no, I'm causing them to struggle with their unfaithfulness. Because here's what the Bible says, and that is not what they believe. Or, no, I'm getting them to struggle with their unrealistic expectations. You know, the guy who's praying for his grandma to get healed from her 
cancer when she's 97. And, uh, well, why should you expect that she's going to survive her cancer when she is close to the edge of old age that people don't survive? Right? That's unrealistic. And so, uh, but you're causing people to stumble, struggle in their faith, lose their faith. Really? Okay. <laughs> so my thing is, well, I think you need to uh, stay here and I'm going to go. Go someplace else where I don't get in trouble for trying to please God and follow him and learn and apply what the Bible says. Well, what an unfortunate uh, schism to have between people, to be divided over something like that. But yet that's what time it is, right? There's a lot of that that goes on. And I don't know any sincere person who hasn't run into that. Uh, here's what's very tragic is that a sincere person, and of course nobody's sincere all the time about everything. So I don't mean to paint a picture in which there are perfect people out there being mistreated by their churches because there are not. However, uh, when a person believes the church, whose excuse for the, the expectations not being met is the failure of the members, uh, when they believe that, they beat themselves up as a spiritual avocation, as a habit, as a routine. It is the answer to everything that fails. Oh, it must be me. What a wretch I am. Well, I don't think you're perfect, but I don't think you're perfectly imperfect either. I don't think everything is your fault. And uh, I've seen churches get this wrong a lot, so it's not like I'm just making this up. Uh, and yet this is the unquestionable question, you know, the unaskable question in the churches. You don't look behind that curtain. You don't, you don't say, hey, what's going on here? Should this really be going on? Are these the right answers? And so I sit here realizing, okay, well, you've surely covered a bunch of this, uh, certainly poked the hornet's nest, poked the bear, whatever. But um, I think there's a very real issues, and I'm certain that a lot of people need to hear this to realize, you know what, you're not perfect, but you may be more okay than you think. And uh, maybe you ought not spend much more time in a fellowship that is pounding you down because you can't meet their unrealistic expectations. Now, I got to say this, Jack will turn right around and have some other thing where I'm pounding you to meet expectations that are realistic and that your church thinks are not. Nobody's perfect, bro. No church is perfect either. Yeah. And your policy here seems to be, and we're going to see to it that this church isn't perfect either, right? Well, you deliberately lower the bar. You let people continue in sin and error that you could have fixed or helped them fix. And uh, you just don't want to do the work of a leader. Uh, so don't get me wrong. This is not me uh, picking on every church for everything. This is not me saying I'm perfect. Uh, and that everybody else is an error. No, we all have our issues. But uh, some churches are very unhealthy, and I think there's a lot of that that goes on. 
And uh, there is very little of this kind of thinking and discussing, exploring, examining analysis that goes on. Uh, you can't do this in the churches and get away with it. They've got to shut you down because they're not about the truth. Ultimately, they're about keeping the church together. And it's as if they believe the thing that the one evangelist said to me uh, when he says uh, being unified is more important than, than being right. Well, I think he got that woefully wrong. I don't know if he still believes it today or not, but um, I'm so glad he put it in those words because it helped me to see, ah, there's a paradigm that I think is absolutely wrong and it's pernicious. It is a very destructive thing. Even if it doesn't seem like it is, they end up pounding down a bunch of people who want to be faithful and loving and kind and general and joyful and, and vibrant and fruitful in various ways and all that but they get pounded down thinking that they are the problem. When in fact, uh, there just aren't not any apostles today. These signs, wonders, and miracles, no. The healings, I don't think so. I would love to be proved wrong if somebody can show me that. I don't think the prophecy is happening today. Uh, and I can give you biblical reasons for every one of these, and maybe you think I've got them wrong. Um, we can discuss that. I also, though, want to know uh, show me where I can go see the healings. Because please don't be a hypocrite and tell me, oh no, it's still happening, but not in my church. Well, then why are you in that church, <laughs> right? <laughs> so people get themselves backed into all kind of crazy corners. They get themselves sort of painted into a corner, trying to defend something that's not really defensible. And they end up saying dumb junk and believing it and then throwing you under the bus when you dare to challenge it. Well, that's just unfortunate behavior. I'm very sorry that anybody ever becomes the victim of that, and yet uh, millions have become the victim of that, even if just in one small thing, and then they quit and never challenge again, or whether they realize the pattern and say, you know what, it's time for me to move along and uh, not spend further time here. So is this me telling you all to quit your churches? I don't think so, but I wish you would all examine your churches. In fact, uh, Where's the passage? Each one should examine himself and see whether or not he is in the faith. There's one, because that's what I'm talking about. Are you really being faithful to God or are you being faithful to something else? So my hope is that you will uh, be faithful to God and keep learning how and keep correcting your errors as you go. This is the path I'm on. And I wish I could talk with more people who could show me my errors. But there is so little discussion that it's fairly rare that I find somebody who either knows enough to correct me or who is willing to do it uh, because people are just so scared. So I realize I've talked a good bit. I have no idea what time it is. Don't really care. But I do need to wrap this up at some point. I hope you find this useful. I'd love some feedback if you do. If you find it encouraging, uh, you may find it heretical, in which case I probably won't hear back from you. And I rarely hear from anybody, just so you know. So I'm quite open to conversation. Or if you have questions or would like to hear more of the same kind of thing or whatever, do let me know. And um, hopefully soon I'll get back on the baptism thing. But I feel kind of glad I cheated today and got off track in order to do this thing I've been wanting to do for a long time. Those who are discouraged, I hope you can take heart at this. 
and know that you keep on swimming against that tide because at the end of the story, you're laying up treasures for yourself in heaven where they really count and where you can hang on to them forever. They will not rot or rust or decay there or be eaten by worms or anything like that. They will last you forever. And God is very uh, happy to heap treasures on those who've been faithful to him. So this is a very good thing. Thanks for joining in.